want to start in John chapter 2 because it sets up uh, the way I want to come at the Palm Sunday text. John 2, specifically verses 23 through 25. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Oh, Grace Kids, if you haven't already left, you may have already gone. You, if uh, you'd like to be a part of our Grace Kids, ages 4 through 6, uh, you may be dismissed at this time, and the Rays will uh, be ministering to you this morning. John 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So here are these people and it says about them that they believed in his name, but it apparently was not a saving belief. There was something deficient about their belief because Jesus did not, on his part, entrust himself to them because he knows what's in man. He knows what's in people. And so the question I want to start off with this morning for you to be considering is this. What kind of belief do you have? Is it a saving belief? Will Christ, has Christ, as it were, entrusted himself to you? Well, John chapter 12, turn over there with me now, will help us to think through some of the things that are in people, things that look like belief, but that are lacking true faith. John 12, verses 12 through 19. And I'd like to ask you, please, if you would stand now for the reading of God's Word. When we're done, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, because it is, and uh, you respond, thanks be to God with me. John chapter 12 verses 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches, uh, sorry, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, We see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. So what is it in human beings, men and women, boys and girls, that often hinders salvation? And the first thing from this text that I want to highlight to you that's often a hindrance is the desire for a kingdom and kingdom blessings without the king. Desire for kingdom blessings without the king. Chapters, uh, verses 12 and 13, there's a large crowd that had come out to the feast, heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And skipping down to verse 18, the reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard he had done This sign, that is the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, the light of the world had stepped down into darkness, tabernacled among us, and through seven signs that are recorded in John's gospel, caused us to truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing have life in his name. That's the purpose for which John wrote this gospel record. He recorded these seven signs as pointers to Jesus. The seventh sign, which is in chapter 11, just the chapter before uh, this triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday entry into Jerusalem, uh, the seventh sign was the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the climactic. Uh, resuscitation of Lazarus, the, the, anticipate, the sign that points to the conquest of death through Jesus' word. Well, that seventh sign also stiffened opposition against Jesus. So in chapter 11, verse 53, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And not only him... But in uh, chapter 12, verse 10, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, as though once is not enough. So here it is now, a few weeks later, it's Sunday before the Passover in which Jesus is killed. It's less than a week before his crucifixion. It is what we call Palm Sunday. There are thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews who have streamed into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. Josephus, a a Jewish historian, uh, not very many years later than this, records records that at one point there were over two and a half million Jews in Jerusalem. Not necessarily at this Passover, maybe at this Passover, but uh, at some near Passover. It's packed. Wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder. I mean, I don't don't know if you could lay down in this mess. And so the city is abuzz 
they're, they're talking about, one of the things they're talking about is Jesus. He has become very popular, and he's just raised this guy from the dead. Did you hear about that? This is man, Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and not only that, there's a warrant out for his arrest. The leaders don't like him. They're going to be, they're out to get him. I wonder, I wonder, will he come? He, he raised Lazarus. Maybe he could raise Israel. Maybe he could, maybe he could be a help, but I, the Romans, you know, Pressing us. And the religious leaders, they bind burdens on us and don't help to carry them. There's, there's this anticipation, there's this excitement, there's this electricity, and there's this fear, there's this insecurity, there's this unrest. It is a tense time in Jerusalem, and it's, it's like something's reaching a climax. And suddenly, Word starts to spread throughout Jerusalem. Here he comes. He's coming. He's, he's, out, he's outside the city gates. Let's, let's go out to meet him. And they all rush out to meet this man who raised this guy from the dead. They, they rush out to meet him like a, like a king, escorting a conquering king into the city. You know, and you know what crowds do on occasions like that? Uh, well, in America, you know what they do. In New York City, when... There's some great uh, hero who comes, maybe they've come back from war, they've come back from the moon or whatever, and, and what do they do? They have, a, they have a ticker tape parade, don't they? There's a big party. Uh, it's Times Square. There's, there's fireworks. There's all of this. Well, the, the Jews didn't do fireworks, apparently, but they had, they had a custom not unlike that. Uh, and every year they did something like that. They, uh, for example, at the Feast of Booths, the crowd, this is another occasion when people had to come from all over uh, to worship in Jerusalem. The Feast of Booths, crowd, crowds would come to the temple in the morning and they would sing the Hallel Psalms. That is Psalm uh, 113 through 118. Uh, and it would, be a, it would be a celebratory event every year. And at at Psalm 118, verse 25, which was just read for us this morning uh, uh, by George Stubman, there's a verse there, and it, it's transla uh, a, a, a literal translation would be this, O Lord, save now, or O Lord, save, please, uh, what's translated save please, or save now, or save, we pray, is the word Hosanna in Hebrew. Hosa, sa save, save us. Na is, is, a, is, a, is a word of urgency. It's a word of pleading, please, now, we pray, save us now. And they would, they would as they're singing these psalms, they would wave palm branches uh, palm, palm branches were like a, a symbol of their nation, a symbol of the people of Israel. It, um, they, they were plentiful. It's like waving American flags, little American flags. That's what they're doing. They're national symbol. They're way, and they're say, and they're singing the Hallel Psalms. And 
when Jesus comes, they're recognizing him. Maybe this is the ki- this is the king by whom God would save us. And they go out and they wave their their palm branches, their their Israel flags, and they add. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they add, even the king of Israel. It's an exciting moment. This is a a moment when tears would start to flow for excitement and anticipation. But how quickly hopes get dashed and attitudes change. Isn't that true? We We see it constantly with political messiahs that we think are going to save our nation. How quickly uh, unmet dreams turn our hearts. And Jesus, uh, within a week's time, lost his popular support. And he was executed as a false messiah. No longer the king of Israel who has come to save us. Their hearts turned against Jesus, and they killed him. Why? Because, like people are, they wanted the blessings of the kingdom. They wanted security. They wanted independence. They wanted prosperity. They wanted health. They wanted what a guy who can bring people back from the dead can give them. They wanted what a guy who can multiply bread can give them. Economic prosperity. And, and a good health care plan. They were focused on the signs and not the sign giver. Uh, chapter 12, verse 18, looking up just a little bit. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. And that takes us back to chapter 2 again, verses 23 to 25. Uh, When he was in Jerusalem, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. People people are always wanting the sign itself and not the thing that's signified. We we understand that. We We want a president, right, based on what he can do for us. Not based on who he is. Well, let me say that's for a democracy and for world governments, I think that's That's the better thing. You know, Hitler wanted people to follow him to to pledge their allegiance not to a set of laws, not to a constitution, not to a country, but to him personally. We don't want that. That's not a good good thing for sinful men to want. But that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to. He's the thing... Signified, He is the resurrection and the life. And people want, people want what Jesus can give, but not necessarily Jesus. And if Jesus, can't, if Jesus doesn't come through with the goods, then we'll look for somebody else. But faith comes to Jesus not because he's useful, but because he's beautiful. And so the question again is, why are, why are you here this morning? Why are you here? I don't know if any of us have even asked that question consciously this morning. Have you asked that? Why why am I going to church? Why am I singing songs? 
Why am I giving? Why am I listening to this guy talk forever? Why, why am I doing this? Is it, is it so that he'll make you rich maybe in some way, or is it because he's your riches? Is it because he'll fix your, your spouse, or is it because he's your spouse? You think, if I do these things, then he'll bless me, or, or is he your blessing? Uh, is, it, is it so maybe he'll restore our nation to some imaginary idea of, of past glory? Or is it because he's your king? Have you come here this morning to use him or to worship him? That's the question. Those crowds wanted Jesus as a political savior because they'd seen him do signs. And when he didn't deliver, they called for his impeachment. Crucify him. Crucify him. The blessings of the kingdom instead of the kingdom. The second thing that hinders instead of the king himself. A second thing that can hinder salvation is the desire for the stallion without the donkey. The desire for the stallion without the donkey. Verses uh, 14 through 16. Chapter 12. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and what had been done to him. Now, what, what did his disciples not understand at first? Well, I think they got verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. They got, they got that part. Here comes the king. He's going to do it. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to bring in the uh, economic and uh, uh, health prosperity. He's, he's, he's going to do it. What they didn't understand is verse 14 and what it meant. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. We need to understand there are these two strands woven together throughout the Old Testament, through their scripture. There, there is the strand of the Messiah who comes as the conquering king on the white stallion, as it were. They, in those days, white stallions did signify conquering glory. Uh, in Psalm 2, verse 9, you get a sense of this where the psalmist says, you shall break the nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be warned, O rulers, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. That strand is there throughout the Old Testament. They got that. And it even included the king coming riding on a donkey. They, they could get that because the idea is that this king is a gentle king. He, he's going to conquer the enemy, but he's not going to be like the tyrants of the world. He's gonna, there's going to be a, a gentleness about him. That, that can be included. They, they would get that part. But, but then there's the second strand of Jesus as a suffering servant on the lowly donkey. It's Isaiah 53, despised and rejected, man of sorrow, stricken, smitten by God, wounded for our transgressions, and, and so forth. And Zechariah 9, verse 9, which is where this quote comes from, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's 
colt. Everybody got the white stallion bit and even saw the donkey bit as part of the Messiah's portrait, but nobody yet understood just how humble Messiah would need to be in order to save his people. To be the conquering king, what was required. Nobody really got how to put these two strands together. Some even thought maybe there's two Messiahs coming. It's only after the cross, the resurrection, and the exaltation, that is the, the glory of Jesus, the glorification of Jesus, that it really began to make sense. Everybody saw the conquering king on the white stallion and viewed the nature of the kingdom as primarily one that's political and militaristic and, and outward. And it's not, listen, it's not that the kingdom's not that. It will be that. One day Jesus will return, he will reveal himself, and his enemies will be rooted out, torn to pieces, his wrath will be kindled in such a way that all will say, blessed are those who take refuge in him. They will be saved. But before, before that day, and until that day, even now, the nature of the kingdom is the nature of the suffering servant on a lowly donkey. On a future day, the Lord will come with a rod of iron. On this day, he comes on a wooden cross. On that day, white steed in power. On this day, a lowly ass in humility. Well, what, what the disciples didn't understand until after Jesus was glorified is that he must ride the donkey's colt before he can ride the white stallion. That the path to exaltation is humiliation. That the way down is ultimately the way up. And the church still misunderstands that even today. That characteristic is the characteristic of the church. Is to be the characteristic of the church until Jesus comes. Uh, but but I, like, we still fight for political muscle, don't we? We still fight for position. We fight. Well, we fight for power. We fight for control. We want. We want. Uh, we want to be in charge. We want to defend our rights, our freedoms, our power. And 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 again, all of that's well and okay, at least on a personal level for private citizens. We are citizens of the U.S. It is our duty, it is our privilege to seek the good of the, of the nation wherein we are pilgrims and exiles. It is, it is right for us to do that. On the other hand, we need to understand as the church that Christ in this age, through the church, is still riding the donkey of the colt, or the colt of a donkey. As... as, as Jesus says in verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. We're, co we're constantly having to learn that fruitfulness does not come by preserving life, but by losing it. And, and this play, you know, I'm talking about big, big political ideas and big worldwide ideas, but this, this is true on an everyday level as well, that we are, we are called to humility, to give up our rights, to surrender our rights. I, I was thinking about this this morning. It's a very uh, silly illustration, but, uh, you know, we're, we're getting our house 
ready to put on the market, and so we've had to move some things around. We're doing some work in our in the master basket, the master bathroom. If you know, <laughs> that's where I that's where we sleep in the master bedroom. We use the master bathroom. We're just doing some work in there, so we're all in the hall bathroom. You know, the kids the kids bathroom, and uh, so I uh, in the master bathroom. Ba- bathroom my stuff's in the second drawer down. I really don't have to even lean over to get to it. But now I'm in the third drawer down. Well, it was available. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't any slight intended. But now I have to lean down, and I keep going for the wrong one. And every once in a while I think, why can't I have one that I don't have to lean up for? Why do I have to have the third drawer? And I have to have to remind myself. Again, it's a silly illustration. It's not really serious. I don't want to move up. It's, o- it's okay. But that thought does cross my mind. And I have to say to myself, that's how the master works. He goes lower. He willingly goes lower. That's what we're called to do. You know, on the, on the big, massive levels, but also on the day-to-day level, that's, that's where it really shows up. Am I, am I willing to not be the one in charge? Am I willing to ride, to, to be, to ride the donkey? You know, am I, am I willing to be the servant? Am I willing to go down to the fourth drawer? Whatever, whatever it is. Am I willing not to have the last ice cream cone? Whatever. This is, this is real life kinds of stuff. These are the stupid things that we argue about. Who's in charge? Who's better? Who, who gets the glory? Jesus says, the one who gets the glory ultimately is the one who goes all the way down. The one who bears the cross. The one who bears the shame. The one who bears the guilt the one who takes the lies, the one who bears the mocking. We want the stallion without the donkey. There will be a stallion, even for you, but not without the donkey. We must see Jesus as both the conquering king and the humble and cross-centered servant. We must see Jesus as the lion and the lamb. And it's the li- it's the lamb before the lion. Now there's a third thing that sometimes hinders our real faith and salvation, and that is the desire for the security without the sacrifice. The security without the sacrifice. Look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Well, the, Phar- the Pharisees are totally, they totally missed it, right? And they got it exactly right. Like, John is really great about this. In, in uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 50, Caiaphas says, the high priest says, you don't understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And he meant it's good for the person to die so that the Romans don't come in and take away our place. 
uh, he, Jesus is stirring up all kinds of trouble. We need to get rid of him. It's better to get rid of him so that the whole nation can be saved. And he was so wrong, and he was exactly right. And so are the Pharisees. You see, you're gaining nothing. The whole world has gone after him. In the next verse, the Greeks show up, right, to see Jesus. The Pharisees tried to save the kingdom by killing the king. In their zeal to keep the world from following Jesus, they helped to bring about the one event which would ensure that the world follows Jesus. The point is that the worst that Jesus' enemies can do is bring about the fulfillment of his plan. It's the worst they can do. Brothers and sisters, it's the worst they can do to you. The worst God's enemy can do to you is fulfill his plan. To bring about for you exactly what he wants. And if you're trusting in him, it's for your good and your salvation. For he works all things together for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He works all things together for good. He works all things together for your good. There's no trial. I have to remember this. There's no trial, no obstacle, no brokenness, no weakness that can or will hinder Christ's work, Christ's promises, or the answers to your prayers. Rather, God tends to use all of those things to fulfill His purposes and answer your prayers. What the enemy uses to turn God's people away, God uses to bring God's people to. Do not fear, Jesus says, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And our hope is that Christ will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we have to, we have to stop thinking the way the world thinks. We do think the way the world thinks. Sometimes we need to continually have our minds renewed by the scriptures. We need to stop thinking that humiliation means defeat, that opposition means we've lost, that going lower means somebody else gets higher and we lose. Because it is through many tribulations that you must enter the kingdom of God. Your broken, your broken lives, your broken marriages, your broken kids, your broken families, your broken bodies, your broken careers, your broken dreams in Christ's hands will be the donkey by which you ride to glory. And through which the world will be drawn to him. So what's our response this morning? Do we, want, do, we want a, do we want the kingdom blessings even if we don't have the king? Do we want the stallion without the donkey? Do we want security without the sacrifice? These, these are not, those who do are not those to whom Jesus entrusts himself. I want, to, I want to close with this, uh, with this illustration that I've used before, but it's perfect for today, and it illustrates the whole passage. It's the Palm, it's the Palm Monday story. 
You remember the Palm Monday story. It's about the, the cult of the donkey. It's the day after where Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday, uh, people waving palm branches on this donkey's colt. And, and so the next day, the, donkey, the, the, the little donkey is thinking, I want some more of that glory. He's good, so he goes back into town. He come, he come, he, sh- he says, "I'll reveal myself to these people." And he comes into Jerusalem and he stops by the well, and he's he's expecting them to start crying out, "Hosanna, Hosanna!" They ignore him completely. Like, what what is what is wrong with this these people? He he brays a little bit, thinking, "Throw throw down your garments," and they just kind of swat him and send him away. Can't believe these people. Miserable heathen. So he goes. Uh, he says, "I'll go to the. I'll go to the market. They'll. They'll give me the glory." And so he goes into the market. Same thing happens. Nobody pays any attention to him at all. He's, he's strutting down the. Uh, uh, I don't know. Strutting down the. The marketplace. Look at me. Look at me. Where are the palm branches? Paid him no attention. So he goes home to his, uh, his mom, hurt and confused, tells, tells her what's happened. His mom said, you're a foolish child. Don't you realize that without him, you're just an ordinary donkey? But listen, with him, with him, you're riding to glory. He shares his, you're not, you're, you're never, listen, you're never just a donkey to him. The question is, do you have to be the king? Or are you willing to be the donkey, to be used by the king? To humble yourself, to realize that without him, you're nothing. If you are, he will share his glory with you. In the, in the days to come. He loves you. He will keep you. He will help you. But must you be the king? Must you be the queen? Or will you be his servant? Will you follow him? Will you seek him and not just the things that he gives us? He knows what's in your heart. He knows. Come humbly. Trust him. Be willing to be the donkey. Take up your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you. You are, you are the king. You are the only one who deserves to be king. Grant that we be willing to take the lowest place at the table, in the bathroom, in the gathering of friends, in the classroom, in the workplace, in the church, in the nation, in the world. Because you, you ride to glory. 
not on a white stallion. We don't add to your glory. You share your glory with us. So grant, Father, this grant, Lord Jesus, this morning that, that, that we share in your humility now. That we partake of the grace of God that strengthens one to bear the cross. We pray for those here this morning who have been fighting with all their might, with all their breath, with all their anxious toil, fighting to be first, fighting to be glorified, fighting to have it all, fighting to be uh, in the top drawer. Father, grant the humility that humbles ourselves before Jesus and says, not, not me, but you. Grant that we go lower, that you might be lifted higher. Grant the soul struggling against your authority, struggling against your sovereignty, struggling against your cross even, Grant today that they humble themselves and entrust themselves wholly to you because they want you. Grant it, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.